0: Are you thinking what you think you're thinking? This look at biases is brought to you by Octopod. Check out their charging solutions for your phone and tablet at octo-pod.com outset and use the coupon code outset when you check out. From Outset, I'm Benjamin Green, and this is Second Look, the show where we pause and re-examine ideas and issues in politics and culture. And this week, we are talking about something that irks me more than a lot of other things do in civil discourse, and I think it's um, an interesting topic, and that is biases, Biases are basically irregularities in our thinking. In math, a bias term can just be like a multiplier. In, like, I don't know, I guess you'd call it engineering. You can have a biased sphere if it's not perfectly spherical. But, as far as speech and thinking and politics are concerned, a bias gets between you and and your logic, but it's far different from a logical fallacy. Uh, Logical fallacies relate a lot to arguments, but biases are even more important because they relate to thoughts. The thoughts you're forming your arguments full of logical fallacies in (laughs) are caused by biases. Now. Differing perspectives are good. I've talked a lot on this show about how I like that people disagree. I think the world would be a boring place if everyone agreed. But it's important that you are aware of your own biases so you can actually make sure you're thinking what you think you're thinking and that you're believing what you believe you're believing. <laughs> I don't know about you. But I catch myself falling into bias traps all the time. And um, it's always really frustrating to me, especially, especially as concerns politics, when I catch myself looking at an issue not based on the evidence, just based on weird preconceived notions and other stuff. Now, when I decided on this topic for the episode, I didn't quite know what I was getting myself into. I just, for a quick broad search, I went on Wikipedia, and there are just dozens and dozens of cognitive biases. Um, I stopped counting after a hundred. I, I couldn't believe how many different ones there were. And the, the one, my, my favorite named one that I saw was the Ikea effect. Which is that you take pride in something that you played at least, like... At, you, you at least played a part in building it. You tend to be prouder of those objects, regardless of their quality. So, IKEA, you get, like, cheap furniture. It's not terrible quality, but, but you get what you pay for. And... Um, but since you put it together yourself, you're more likely to take pride in that than even, like really nice furniture that someone else built. So, I thought that one was interesting and had a funny name, the Ikea effect. But, you know, that has nothing to do with politics, really. If you can come up with a way to relate that to politics, please tweet me or comment on OutsetMagazine.com. I'll be very impressed and, yeah, please tell me. But, today I'm just going to step through some common biases and point out how they affect political discourse, especially in the United States, and how they might be affecting the way you think about what you think. So first up, one you probably already know about, but is arguably one of the most, if not the most, widespread cognitive biases, is the confirmation bias. And that's, you see what you look for, in in short. So, right now, I chose not to talk about it this week because I don't believe in politicizing tragedies, but right now there's a debate raging on gun control, and those who are in support of gun control tend to see uh, evidence supporting gun control and reject evidence that would undermine gun control and those against gun control tend to see evidence and reject evidence in in a similar manner the evidence that supports their beliefs they're likely to believe as good strong evidence and then evidence that doesn't support their beliefs well they tend to just you know hide it under the mental rug. And this, like, aside from in political debates, this really manifests itself in politics um, as far as candidates are concerned. We, We really tend to defend the candidates we like, even against evidence, and we tend to denigrate the others, regardless of evidence. You know, sometimes you might disagree with a candidate you really don't like. (laughs) And uh, i found that this cycle, I have, like, once, I think once, maybe twice, agreed with something Donald Trump has said in this campaign. And it makes me angry, and I'm inclined to be like, no, I don't agree with that. I'm not going to tell you what they were, but I do promise you this, it doesn't have anything to do with building a wall and getting Mexico to pay for it. Um, and then candidates I do like, so for me, that's pretty much just Rand Paul. I'm inclined to defend Rand Paul at, at sometimes at the expense of facts. <laughs> and, and, It's something I'm constantly on my guard for, ever since learning that it was a thing, and you should be too. And I have here a quote from um, Catherine Sanderson in Social Psychology. She said, wrote, I guess, "...we also ignore information that disputes our expectations." we are more likely to remember and repeat stereotype-consistent information and to forget or ignore stereotype-inconsistent information, which is one way stereotypes are maintained even in the face of disconfirming evidence. If you learn that your new Canadian friend hates hockey and loves sailing, and that your new Mexican friend hates spicy foods and loves rap music, you are less likely to remember this new stereotype-inconsistent information. And that's just kind of crazy to me. Like, even when we know the facts, we're more likely to forget them because of our personal preferences and biases and preconceived notions. That's just crazy. And you can see why this would cause a lot of problems in politics, because, you know... Facts are very important when you're making policy, even at a local level. Even if it's just your HOA, you you got to have facts about what you're dealing with. And if you are going to forget or just ignore facts based on your preconceived notions, that is a bad, bad thing. Number two is the in-group bias. Although, after doing a little studying up on this, I really want to um, rename this the social media bias. Uh, But we can't because, you know, it's more expansive than that. But this bias really speaks to our inner tribal nature, and it's exacerbated by social media and very obvious there. But it even happens in, in... face-to-face, everyday life, you trust those in your group and distrust those outside. Think about your political affiliation. Are you more likely to trust someone based on the little letter that follows their name? (laughs) I, for a long time, I would have to say yes to that. I've been working just really the last month working really hard to try and stop doing that and and stop judging people based on their political affiliation and judging them based on what they're saying and doing. And it's made quite a difference in, in my life. For one thing, I've been more optimistic politically, but that's a story for another time. Um, In-group bias. This is actually scientifically documented. And if you're like me, you're saying... No way, but yes way. I I found an article in Science Magazine. It it's a journal, and the let me just read you the title of this study. The Neuropeptide Oxytocin Regulates Parochial altruism in intergroup conflict among humans. Needless to say, I didn't make it past the abstract, but I did pull this quote from The abstract of this study, and that is, results showed that oxytocin drives a, quote, tend and defend response in that it promoted in-group trust and cooperation and defensive, but not offensive, aggression toward competing outgroups. Now, what that says to me is that we are... Not only are we more likely to agree with those who are in our friend group and circle of influence, we're actually feeling attacked by people who disagree with us. Now, just think about that for a second. How often does it happen in politics that someone on one side accuses someone on the other side of attacking them? Sometimes this just seems flat-out ridiculous, but maybe we should stop being so hard on people for feeling attacked. It, it's siamenically sci-meni- where did that word even come from? Scientifically documentable that you get defensively aggressive toward competing outgroups. I, that, that just totally blew my mind when I read that. Oxytocin causes you to feel attacked. When people disagree with you, who, when, when people who aren't part of your group disagree with you. All right, then the next one is self-serving bias. Now, this one, if you are a college student like I am, you run into this one all the time. Way too much. And that is that you take personal credit for your successes, and you blame others for failures. Now, I said this is the college student's bias. It happens all the time with professors. Oh, she just hates me, so she gives me these bad grades, and uh, when in reality you might just have done the assignment wrong or taken the test poorly and then oh i aced this test yes i knew all the material so what when really you might have just gotten lucky that day and and you might not even be realizing that you are uh putting these the these motivations behind your professor or these uh i guess causes within yourself for success because your brain just kind of does that for you. This is a measured bias. And on top of being the college student's bias, it can be called the politician's bias. Because, I mean, we hear this all the time. Nobody takes responsibility in politics anymore. We we like to jump on the train. We, meaning politicians, like to jump on the train for, for things that are popular and take credit for those things and then blame other people if their plans ever fail. I don't want to be too mean-spirited here, but, I mean, one name keeps coming to my mind, and that's Ted Cruz. He, he really uh, he blames the Republican leadership when he's not able to do exactly what he wants in the Senate. And then he takes credit for things that maybe he didn't even necessarily accomplish. And really, it just makes you look a whole lot more phony to those who are outside and looking at you. And that's actually, I think, part of the problem with politicians today especially in the United States. I don't know much about politics in other countries. So if you're listening and you're from another country, awesome. Thanks so much for tuning in. But I'm talking about the U.S. Um, Also, another place where this is super common is car accidents. Have you ever noticed? I I don't know if you've ever been at the scene of an accident. Um, I actually had a weird experience one day on the way to school. An accident happened right in front of me. And um, my dad stopped and was helping out, and and both people <laughs> were saying it was the other person's fault. Well, you know, one of them's right and one of them's wrong, but they both feel like they're right and the other person's wrong. Um, you We can't all be right all the time. We can't all be successful all the time. <laughs> and everyone else can't always be wrong or failing all the time. And I have a couple quotes here. They're a little longer, and they're from, uh, I guess, just psychology textbooks. I found these online. By the way, for all the things that I'm citing today, you can find them in the show notes at OutsetMagazine.com. This one is from Psychology, a Student's Handbook. Quote, there is strong evidence for the self-serving bias. It has the advantage of encouraging us to persevere even when things are going against us. For example, unemployed workers are more likely to find work if they exhibit the self-serving bias and avoid attributing their failure to obtain a job to their incompetence or lack of skill. So there's an interesting perspective. And then this from Psychology Concepts and Applications. The self-serving bias is widespread in Western cultures, such as the United States and Canada, but it's much less common in East Asian cultures, such as Japan, China, and Taiwan. Unlike Americans, the Japanese tend to attribute their successes to luck, and their failures to lack of ability or talent. The self-serving bias may be embedded within a cultural ethic, in the United States, and other individualistic cultures that place a premium on self-esteem. So, how about that? American culture is inside your head, thinking for you. (laughs) Craziness. Well, hey, I have one more for you today, but before I get to it, I do just want to mention again our sponsor, Octopod. They really make great products if you've If you're going to be going to Disneyland or anything like that, you're going to want to have your phone with you, but what if it dies halfway through the day? Youch, Not good. Then you can't call your kids, then your kids can't call you, and you got to call park security, and it's this whole big mess. Save yourself the trouble. Go to octodashpod.com slash outset. Protect your children and pick up an Ion-3, Ion-10, Ion-Solar today. It'll keep your phone or tablet charged while you're on the road at Disneyland, and then you won't have to call park security to go find your kids. Although, why were your kids wandering away from you in the first place? Maybe this whole thing is their fault. Anyway, save yourself the trouble buy an octopod octo-pod.com slash outset and use the coupon code outset when you check out for 50% off all right and we're back with number four but a rundown of the first three the number one bias is confirmation bias and that's you see what you look for Uh, you 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 like evidence that supports what you already think, and you tend to discard evidence that goes against it. Number two is the in-group bias. You trust those close to your group and distrust those outside. You tend to defend those in your group at all costs and defensively attack those outside your group. Number three is the self-serving bias, and that's that you take personal credit for successes, and you blame others for failures. And finally, number four, and I saved it for last just because of the name, hyperbolic discounting. It's also called the present bias or the current moment bias. Now this one is quite simple, and it's that we make decisions for now, not for the future. You may think you're planning for the future, but in reality you end up making decisions for now. So there's a very famous study out of Stanford University years ago with kids in marshmallows, and they 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 sit the kid down at the table and there's a marshmallow in front of them and they say You can eat the marshmallow, but if you wait just a few minutes, then you'll get two marshmallows. If you eat it now, that's the only marshmallow you're going to get. And it actually is a fascinating study. You should look it up. It had amazing indicators on success later in life. Whether or not that kid ate the marshmallow showed how, like, it, it was predictive of higher SAT scores and just all sorts of things. I really recommend you look into it. It's interesting. But, like, A lot of kids just chose to, you know, eat the marshmallow. They had a hard time thinking about, hey, if I just wait a little while, I'll get two and that's more. And instead they just see, hey, there's this marshmallow right in front of me and I'm allowed to have it. I'm eating it now. And this is actually, um, there was another study done with diet choices where they said, okay, plan your diet um for a week from now when you're going to be hungry in the afternoon what are you going to eat well and most people chose you know healthier foods maybe they'd eat fruit and stuff like that and then a week later the study said okay what did you end up eating and people tended to choose unhealthy foods maybe they chose a dessert instead of a fruit uh and Even when their intent was, oh, one week from now I am planning to eat well, when it came down to that moment of decision they chose the bad thing. the worst thing, I should say. So how does this relate to politics? Well, just take a look at Congress and how do we govern? Uh, My favorite congressman, Representative Justin Amash from Michigan, he calls it a governed by crisis model, where the current Republican leadership just likes to you know, wait things till the last minute, and then oh no, what are we going to do? We have to vote right now! And, and then they, they, they vote, and phew! We avoided this crisis. We avoided the government shutdown. We avoided hitting the debt limit. So we raised the debt ceiling, and phew! It's such a good thing we did. They come in with these plans like, oh, we're going to pass a balanced budget that that says, you know, we're not going to increase, we're not going to raise the debt ceiling. And then what happens? When the moment of decision comes, we end up deciding for now. We pass a continuing resolution to say, hey, we'll decide again in a few months. And then when a few months comes, oh no, it's a crisis again, and ah! And then we pass another continuing resolution say, hey, we'll decide in a few months. And it's just an endless cycle hyperbolic discounting. Now, there are a whole lot more biases I could go through. If you'd like to hear some more of those, uh, comment on this episode at outsetmagazine.com or send me a tweet. My Twitter handle is at bgreenaz. You can use the hashtag secondlook. And, um, if it's something you enjoyed, maybe we'll look at some more. I I have, like I said, there were over a hundred on Wikipedia, including but not limited to, the gambler's fallacy, the negativity bias, the anchoring effect, and the projection bias. Do those names intrigue you? Let me know. So what's the point of all of this? Why did I bother making an episode about biases? Well, for the most part, a lot of these things are kind of unavoidable. Your brain is going to do them. Like how we talked about in the in-group bias, like it's actually a chemical reaction in your brain with oxytocin. And really, you just need to be aware. You're going to have biases. It It's unavoidable. So you need to be aware of some of them, of what they are, and take steps within your own brain to make sure that you're really thinking things through. Like I said before, this isn't to try and take away from anyone's unique perspective, and it's also like the in-group bias. There's nothing wrong with agreeing with your friends. It's when you start to let these preconceived notions get in the way of facts and critical thinking that, that the bias is dangerous. So, are you thinking what you think you're thinking? Hopefully, now you'll make sure you are. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode of Second Look. Tweet me what you thought about it. Like I said a minute ago, it's at bgreenaz. You can use the hashtag second look if you want. Also, make sure you give a follow to my awesome editor, Stephen Perkins. You can find him on Twitter at Stephen with a PH underscore Perkins. And of course, you're listening to this from Outset, which you can find online at OutsetMagazine.com or on Twitter at OutsetMagazine. We just launched a brand new podcast called Young Guns. Make sure you check that out. You can find all of our Outset podcasts in iTunes where you can subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And make sure you rate it five stars because that helps us out a ton. And I just want to remind you, finally, that what we are all about here at Outset is speaking out for what you believe in. So, until next week, have a great time and speak out.